Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Owen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I am peachy. Oh, and that's, of that course. Mean, 
That means the peaches are ripening. Yes. Now, again, these are peaches on a tree that grew from a pit in the compost. So they're, I call them wild peaches um, because things in the rose, A-C-A-E family, in the rose family, rarely grow true to seed. It's true for things in the cannabinaceae family. As anybody who's ever, you know, grown, oh, this this cannabis plant had, was really great. Now let me plant the seeds. But you don't get the same plant. The same thing with apple seeds and peach seeds. So these peaches, when they are ripe, look like apples. Like they're red or the thigh or how do you mean? They're red and green. Oh, wow. And they're hard. Oh, they wow. really, they, they look and feel like an apple. They've got a peach pit in it. And you cook them and they just melt. Wow. They like cook up into this intense peach flavor that just makes you go, oh, as I live and die. And Michael and I were talking about it last night. The thing about this peach flavor is you take a bite of it, you go, oh, it's so peachy. And then you take a second bite and you go, yeah, it's so peachy. And you take a third bite and you go, that's so peachy. It's like it doesn't stop. Oh, my goodness. We're peachy. We're peachy. We're we're starting in on the big harvest. And I'm just going to cook as much of it as I can because it really... You know, the last time we had a big harvest, we did some umiboshi, blah, 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 a lot of work. Not much fun on that backside mm. of doing it and hardly any fun at all on on using it because we weren't thorough enough. And I knew by the instructions that you had to just, you know, throw out 90% of the ones that were offered to you. And this tree just doesn't produce any perfect ones at all, so... It was a no-go, really, with the umiboshi from the start. But it was Aww. okay. Glad to, glad to do it and have some umiboshi brine of my own. Ooh la wee, that was certainly worth it. And yeah. let's see. I think Did I tell you last week that we made elderberry things? We made an no. elderberry oil, which is honey and vinegar poured over the, the elderberries, fresh elderberries. And then I cooked elderberries with honey and organic Meyer lemon peel. Mmm, that sounds so good. Oh, that is, you know, in the refrigerator awaiting the coming of winter. Mmm. Elixir. And then I put um, about a third of the berries into a jar with sugar and water and I am stirring it every day and it is getting fuzzier and fizzier and fizzier and fuzzier. The recipe calls for turning it into vinegar, but you know you don't have to wait until that happens. You could drink it when it's fuzzy. Oh wow. <laughs> well I call it elderberry, elderberry fizz. It is one of the great late summer drinks. A cold glass of elderberry fizz with a little Little, uh, oh, a little bit of something sour is always nice, mm. and a little bit of hibiscus. Oh, wow. Wow. 
Sounds really good. And then Justine made elderberry strawberry. Um, what else did she put in there? I think maybe raspberries. And that was mm. awfully good. Mm. She, she found, Justine found a place where there were about maybe 30 elder trees planted. It, there's a sign there that says it's a riparian repair area. Riparian area is the area along the streamside. Uh-huh. And so they were repairing the area along the streamside by planting these elders. Beautiful. And they are not easy to get to because each elder is within a square of fencing. So each elder is fenced itself, and they are planted in a grid with a fence around all of them, and they don't share fencing. Mm. So even if you get over the first fence, you still have to get over the fence around each individual elder. (sighs) Because, of course, they have to get fear out of them, right? Right. Oh, well. So how'd she do it? What'd she do? Or did she just look what at those? What did we do? Um, well, some of them were hanging over, and we were able to get some that were hanging over. And uh, because of the goats, I know where the weak part of the fence is, and so do the deer. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I bet you do, I too. <laughs> that oh, corner. yeah. The corner is always going to be the weak link, and it, you basically what you do is you throw your body at the section of fence next to the corner. My goodness. <laughs> right? Have you seen your goats do that? Of course. Absolutely. You either jump up yeah. on it, like, you know, so you throw your body weight up that way, or you lean on it, and I mean lean. But I see my goats, and they're like, 100% of their weight is leaning into that fence. Mm-hmm. I know so what you mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they act like, oh, I'm just scratching. But no, I really see what you're doing. You are doing your utmost to knock this fence down. And so the deer yeah. had softened the fence at one particular corner that allowed us to get over there. Oh, <laughs> thank you, deer. <laughs> thank you, deer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and especially because it was airy an area, so that usually means, and it did in this case, that the soil is kind of loose and friable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did not feel that I was depriving the birds, even though I took some nice. elderberries for my use, right? I'm not like going to harvest elderberries and sell them or even give them away. It just took some elderberries so I could enjoy some elderberry because, oh, it is so enjoyable. Mm. I so know what so you what mean. You they are same thing today, elderberries. <laughs> elderberries. Elderberries. Hey, elderberries. Mm-hmm. That would be mm-hmm. a fun concept that we could get a lot of people to talk about elder. Oh, wow, yes. Yes, that would be an interesting one. Lots of raving fans. <laughs> mm. Speaking of which, I want to 
remind people that the T-shirts that we do for the conferences are limited editions. That's it. The printing that we do of the T-shirts is the only printing. They are never done again. And once again, the stack of T-shirts, which is right here in the room with me so that I can see it, is growing smaller. Smaller women are coming in here and going off with shirts, and they're ordering them. So if you have been thinking about getting a Hypericum shirt, especially in a large size, like 2X or 3X, do it before. They're all gone. Did you say, oh, why didn't I do it back then? Do it, do it, do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yes, 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 yes. And, and soon you should all get to see the Red Clover Goddess. I'm, Durga emailed me today that she released that to Allie, so that will soon. And I asked Kim to put it in the e-zine. We'll see if that happened. I don't know. Oh, so perhaps. Yes, perhaps there's an e-zine coming your way with the Red Clover Cottage Center. We'll see. Oh my! I always get what I want. Oh, ha ha! He he! Of course not, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh! It sounds like they're breaking up the kitchen in there, yeah, but it's, it sounded like metal. I didn't hear any glass breaking. Okay. So. Good. That's okay. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need the dustpan for glass. <laughs> mm. uh, my Chinese my, my Chinese motherwort is blooming, and. I don't think I've ever seen a mint family plant with so many flowers. I don't mm. even have words to describe it. So think about motherwort, okay? And the flowers mm-hmm. go in what I call necklaces around the stalk, yes? Right. So there's kind of nodes of flowers. Now, make the whole plant ten times bigger. Wow. And increase the number of flowers by a factor of ten. So you have these spires of flowers towering above your head, six, seven feet tall, and three feet of that is flowering. Oh, how beautiful. It is so, so beautiful. Mm. I cut some of it and brought it inside, and it is a great cut flower. Mm. And then there was a mystery mint growing next to it, which was really growing. I was like looking at these plants, and I'm like, where did the giant girls come from? Because this mystery mint was like keeping pace with the Leonurus japonica, which, let me tell you, once the summer got warm, these plants just started growing and growing, you know, three, four, five, six feet, boom, nothing to them. The deer topped Mm. off the mystery mint. And so it was just like half of its size. But it's a mint, so it just sent up branches from every node, right? 
And now all of those branches are flowering, so I was finally able to identify it, and it's called giant yellow hyssop. Wow. It's an agastache. It's related to anise hyssop, one of my favorite mints. Mm. And this one I is have... ever so faintly anise but not like the anise hyssop. And how big is the flower? The individual flowers are small, but the flowers are clustered okay. together in race seams, which are twice as thick as your thumb and half again as long as your thumb. Mm. All yellow. All yellow. Mm. Wow, how fun. Yeah. I have no idea where these plants came from. Well, that's not exactly. That's a totally, totally true. The truth of the matter is that all of the time, whenever I am anywhere that a plant has seeds on it, some of those seeds are probably going to find their way into my pocket. Mm. And then I throw those seeds down in my herb border. So it's quite possible that I was in somebody's garden that had these plants and that some of the seeds made it home in my pocket and I threw them down there and that's where they came from. I'm not saying it's true, but it's a possibility. Mystery garden. How fun. How fun. Speaking of mystery and mystics, Tonight at 9 o'clock East Coast time, Janet Connor is going to be with us. She's a prayer artist, a mystic witch, and the producer and director of the Theater of the Miraculous. She's also the mistress of the threshold between worlds. Because as we recall, if you are the master of something, you have mastery, but if you are the mistress of something, you have mystery. And the mm-hmm. threshold between the worlds is the mystical theta brainwave site. First and always, Janet is a devoted daughter of the sacred feminine. Her first book, Writing Down Your Soul, introduced a radically different approach to journaling that drops the writer into the mystical Breda Theta brain wave state. Oh, I'm reading her whole thing. It's so fascinating. Anyhow, she's going to be here at 9 o'clock. I'm going to stop reading. You'll have to come and and listen to her then or stick with us until then. Nice. Anything anything else you want to talk about, Sarah Ellen? Oh, goodness. Well, I think, you know, I'm all set, and I see three hands already. So I know we didn't get to everyone last week. Maybe we'll just jump right in. Let's jump right in. That's a great idea. Okay. All right. So I'll remind everyone listening that if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1. Then we'll see your hand go up in the queue, and when it is your turn, we'll open your line to speak live with Susan. And we'll go to our first caller that has dialed in from the 585 area code. From the 585, you are live with Susan. Oh, okay. Um, Do you hear me? Yeah, we sure do. What's up tonight? Okay, okay. so um, 
I um, have severe male absorption. I'm like 30 pounds underweight, leaky gut, FIBO, all kinds of food intolerances, uh, causing heart palpitation issues, mast cell, um, lectin, lactose, fructose intolerance, muscle wasting. Um, I can't eat mushy foods and I can't graze. I have myofascial pain, swollen veins. Um, I have SIBO. I get flare-ups. When I get flare-ups, I lose weight and I can't gain it back. Um, I end up ground zero again. Um, I took probiotics for like 20 years and it helped and it stopped helping. And then I, for SIBO, I took herbal antibiotics, which helped a lot. But then after a while, those didn't help. And I took cod liver oil and glutamine, which used to help, um, and I gained weight back, but I no longer can gain weight back. Um, so that's the, and I got um, myofacial pain. So that's my story. <laughs> I, 20, 30, 30 I hear you. What a lot to have to deal with, and especially to have that myofascial pain. It's so, um, oh, so distressful. So I really hear how difficult things are. Have you ever uh, heard about nourishing herbal infusions? Well, yes, uh, because I listened to you and my friend Taj here. Yes. So are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions right now? Well, I, I just heard they about are lactose free. They are lactose-free, fructose-free, cholesterol-free, gluten-free, sugar-free. Nourishing herbal infusions are ideal for somebody in the situation that you're in. Because, in fact, if you could do nothing more than drink a couple of quarts of nourishing herbal infusion a day, you'd probably start gaining weight. Hello, you still with me there? I am seeing it looks like her call did just drop. So... In the 585, if you'd like to call back, I will open your line. Otherwise, if not, um, well, when you call back, we'll put you next in line. And we maybe now should just go to the next caller. I'm not seeing her number come back in the queue yet. Um, yes. But when you come back, we'll, we'll go back to you as the next caller. So um, at this time, I'll remind everyone, if you have a question for Susan, please press 1, and that will raise your hand in the queue. At this time, I see one hand uh excuse me, two hands, um, raised in the queue. So we'll go to the 845 area code. And 845, you are live with Susan. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi, green blessings. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I'm back in the saddle again. Wow, tell us more. I can I, I I just you know was blessed on Lamas with with wheels four wheels, whoa, and a gravel road. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So I'm just so, I've been thinking, like, what will I do when I can do that again? And uh, I just can't even help myself driving down the road or just sitting in a parking lot. And I'm like, what's that over there? And my crutches practically fly now. I'm getting so good at them. So it's been a very interesting journey, uh, just sitting and waiting and watching and hoping, observing, listening, being thankful that I have this time and hopeful that I would get back where I am. So, full circle, here we are. Yay, you. Takes a lot of determination and stick-to-itiveness to to do what you've done. And patience. Yes, patience with yourself. And patience with other people who think I should be moving along faster than I could at times when I just needed to wait. (laughs) So thank you for your patience and all your um, generosity, and I'm I'm very grateful for everything you've done for the community. I'm, I'm so happy you're still here. Me and, too. Me yeah. too. You know, I've been so blessed in my life to get to meet and become friends with women who have been willing to be powerful no matter what the circumstances of their life. I think about Connie Panzerino, who had um, a disease that has an odd name that you wouldn't recognize, but basically it caused her to lose all not just voluntary control of her muscles, but involuntary control of her muscles, so she had to be in a respirator. But she was extremely politically active in getting um, legal rights for people in wheelchairs so that they could get on public transportation and so on and so forth. that right? Yeah. So I have had this enormous the honor of seeing that each one of us can act as a wedge, each one of us can act as a lever, each one of us can act as an agent for change. All we have to do is start right where we are. Yes. I've seen you in a lot of your incarnations, and one of the things that impressed me the most was the way you stood by people with mobility issues. That that really stuck out to me, including myself, which you probably don't even remember or realize how problematic it was for me. But, um, yeah, I was kicked out of a circle once for not being mobile enough. Mm. And, mm. and somehow we met up exactly the right place that you that I don't know and and I got the teaching anyway 
<laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. So I, I wanted I wanted to follow up on last week's question um, about the comfrey, and I, I use comfrey, and I'm gonna uh, try to start preparing it myself. So I I know. Like with the mullen, there's different times and different parts that you would use. And I just wanted to check in with, like, the flowering parts and the stem parts and the leaves. I know the root is entirely separate, but uh, would you combine any of the aerial parts together? Or is it more like mullen where, like, the stem is a little bit more like... uh, the root and then the leaves and the flowers are more gentler or what, uh, you know, in their properties or how does that work? Because the mullen is like six feet so tall. First of all, first of all, the mullen is, first of all, mullen is a biennial plant. Right. No, I, I keep, okay. I keep so it only it, lives yeah. for two okay. years. Right. So oh, okay, and the comfrey people just can, keeps people going. tend to harvest leaves from first year mullen, right? But they can also be harvested from second year mullen. Right. People harvest the root, which has some sedative effect, at the end of the first year of growth, or at the first very year. beginning of the second year. But then after right. that, okay. hardly anything in the root, and what was in the root goes into the stalk. Which I, what I think I you're calling the stem, the big tall stalk. Ye- yes, the stem is by all yes, of those flowers. You. The flowers yeah. themselves, as we know, have a huge reputation for easing earache. I've also oh, yes. met someone who made wine of those flowers. I oh. complained to the mullen one year that it was obnoxious and difficult to dry her leaves. And she said, well, then just cut down the whole stalk, flowers and all, and dry it like that. And I've been doing it that oh, way I remember. ever since. I do so it I now use, like that, too. I use the stalk, the leaves, and the flowers all together to make the infusion. Okay. Because often we're asking Mullen to help with respiratory issues. And frequently oh, yeah. the person who experiences respiratory issues benefits from being mildly sedated. Excuse me, say that again? Often when there are respiratory issues, the person will benefit from being mildly sedated. That mild sedated. Oh, and I feel that. Yes, I feel that. Yes, it, it, I, I, I yes. feel like I'm being rocked in a gentle a cradle. Yeah. If you're having a hard time breathing, it makes you anxious. Yeah. And if you're anxious, yes. you breathe more shallowly, and then you're more yeah. anxious. anxious. So that right. little bit of sedative effect, yeah. they're just like... Ah, that sigh of relief, right? Exactly. I think I've just cleared up a lifetime of respiratory injuries this summer. That's That's been my ally I've, I've worked with all summer. Mullen is um, amazing at being able to do that, to really so clear good. out a lifetime of respiratory injuries. A lifetime. And yeah. even if you stop it, it keeps working. <laughs> oh, if you do enough of it, it just keeps working. It's, I don't know if it's like cannabis, but like 
I, I think it's been 30 days since I've had any mullen, and I'm still reaping the rewards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe so, I believe that yeah. certain plants have the original message of the cells. I think of mm-hmm. cellular replication like that game of telephone we've all played, where you have a message that you yeah. whisper from one person to the next. And, of yeah. course, by the time it comes to the end, the message has been Really screwed up. Started. Right? Yeah. So if the message starts out, your mother grew bananas, it might end up your mama <laughs> blew bandanas. <laughs> so well, Mullen, <laughs> Mullen go, goes into the lungs and says, everybody, it's your mother grew bananas. Is that right? So Mullen has literally restored the original message to your lungs, and the effect lasts not just for weeks and months, but years. I'm I'm wondering if the genome, uh, meaning the number of chromosomes, um, has any correlation with that memory, because one of my favorite uh, mushrooms is Rishi, and I was looking at the chromosomes of the um, the Rusula mushroom in between the uh, uh, I can't remember the Latin name the ghost pipes, acidic plant that supposedly sucks off the mushroom and the mushroom sucks off the tree, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But I was like, isn't it funny that the Rishi and the ghost pipe have both 28 chromosomes? I'm like, they're they're the same. And then there's the middleman. I, I often think of myself like, am I the middleman somewhere in this chain? <laughs> but um, uh-huh. It's a, a place of honor. Oh, is it? Oh, I guess you're right. Of course. Yeah, you have to have the middle between out. the beginning and the end. As a matter of fact, I yeah. call it the juicy middle. The juicy middle can be spicy. Right. So, Think about so, how okay, many things have... are in the middle if you get a pakora or um, a donut or, a, you know, middles. Ooh, yeah. Ah. So um, I, I also saw on one of your uh, posts that um, you're not opposed to the seeds in the mullein, where other people feel that there's some kind of, I don't know, toxin or something uh, that's unfavorable, but you don't feel that way? There's a toxin in what? Mullein seed? Some Some folks are saying if you throw it in a lake with fish, it'll... It'll, like, paralyze the fish for a second with the toxin, and then you can just scoop them up in a net. How much of it do you have to use? I, I, I don't know, and I don't know if it's dried or fresh uh, seed. So and I, have not ever, I have right? not ever talked about using mullein seed. Oh, what okay. I say is that I harvest the entire plant when it starts to flower. Yes, but... 
it doesn't flower so all the no, time. There, so there should be no seed if we're harvesting it right. when it's starting to flower. Yeah, I, I, I think it takes a long time for the seed. Can I ask you a question about comfrey before so we I'm say not, goodbye? So you said that I was okay with the seed, but I'm trying to figure out how I could have said that. I don't think I have ever said that. I, I thought I saw it in a Facebook post where it said it was okay to use the the leaf, the stalk, the flower, and the seed. That's what I thought I read. But if I think you're wrong. using them, if you're using them all together, and I, right, I hope I'm not giving anything away here. But I don't do the Facebook posts. I, I knew you didn't. Okay. Okay. Can I ask you about the comfrey in the same regards to the uh, stalk and the and the, yes. and so the flowers? Again, when they're using the seeds to knock out fish, they're using only the seeds. Right. Just if the seeds. there the hard, are some seeds in your seeds, mullein yeah. along with the leaf, the mm-hmm. stalk, the flower, I mean, how right. much seed could there be? Come on. Well, and there's green so seed, I don't, and then there's I don't think you're going to knock your stuff yeah. out. But oh, no, maybe it wouldn't be a good it. idea to put mullein infusion in your aquarium. No, I, I'm not worried about it. I, in fact, I have a big okay, dog. Okay, good. I'm not um, worried about it. So comfrey is a perennial plant, and that means that right. basically the constituents in the roots and leaves are a lot more even than in a biennial plant. Oh. When, when comfrey uh-huh. is flowering, it is thought that there is more of a particular active ingredient in the flower stalk, allantoin. Allantoin. And more in the leaves, A-L-L-A-N-T-O-I-N, allantoin. That's what we Um, want. That there's more of that in the flowering stalk and more of it in the leaves when it's flowering. And I do use the leaf, the stalk, and the flowers together. Together, okay. Oh, I generally, like with the mullein, harvest the comfrey when it's flowering by cutting the entire flowering stalk and hanging it with its leaves to dry. Oh, like mullein. Just like mullein. Yeah. I, I got yeah. that feeling. I'm like, these these grow like very similar. And I I've seen comfrey before, but I've never seen it like six foot tall like this year. I'm like, huh. Uh-huh. Really, really big. Your comfrey was happy this year. All right. So that also means, like we said, well, there's a certain time period, actually fairly you know, short time period, when you can get the mullein root. But you can right. get the comfrey root at just about any time. Now, usually, any time, yeah. usually the caveats are that we want to let the roots get old enough before we start harvesting them. And should I cut a little piece off or just like break um, it off so, so that like most, a little piece most stays in the ground? Most herbalists um, think that roots that are three years old or older are best. Oh, yay. Oh, good. So you wait, and it depends on the root itself. And it'll probably break off so we're talking, still we're, Again, we're there. talking about perennials. Yeah. So if you were to dig a mullein root and leave some of it, it wouldn't do much. 
No, of course not. I guess because that. it's a biennial, but with perennials. Yeah. Yes, you can leave a piece of the root, especially if you leave a piece yeah. of the root with some of the top. And sometimes little pieces of root will grow depending on the plant and always the yeah. piece of the root that has the, the growing part on the top. And sometimes I'll just dig the whole root and cut it at an angle, leaving that part that growing top and replanting that and then taking the rest of the root for my oh, use. If I want to be sure. Okay. Like if it's an, a perennial I that I that. only have one or two of and I really want to maximize right. my yes. access to them. So you, you just slice it like, you know, even like a quarter piece and then pull the rest, push the breast down in the ground and boom, it's right. safe till next year. Okay. Yes. So I don't want to kill it. No. It's, too beautiful, yeah, and spectacular, and everything. Now with comfrey, do, with comfrey, a, a tiny piece of root will grow. Mm-hmm. And this is why people are discouraged from harvesting comfrey root, because when you harvest the root. You make what a lot you, of more plants. What you let loose is a lot of little pieces, and all those little, little pieces, pieces yeah. grow. Yeah. And that can be really horrifying. I had comfrey growing, and to my horror, the chickens did not even leave the tiniest little piece of root. They took it all. All of it. You're the I second person this year who told me that her chickens stayed in her comfrey. And so now I can no longer say I know of no way to get rid of comfrey. I now know of a way to get yeah. rid of comfrey. Let your chickens oh, yeah. loose on it. Get some chickens, I'm telling you. They they gobble that stuff up like a turkey dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, give me it. <laughs> Japanese knotweed also to... very difficult to eradicate, but apparently if you pin a couple of pigs... It, on top of it, they will dig it all out for you. Oh, the pigs too? Pig, the pigs they like it? will dig out the Japanese knotweed. I don't know if they'll eat comfrey. Oh, I was wondering if that elderberry patch was uh, a riparian place. I know that where they tried to dig up the Japanese knot root, and that's what they did. They put all the elderberry with the fence and then the cages with the fence. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, Really? <laughs> It probably is the same spot. It probably is, and it's really very effective. It really keeps the deer out. Those are the best elderberries in the whole area, and there's no other elderberries really? around me. Berries. Wow. Because the deer are always like, fly me that you know, far, but uh, next year. Yeah. Right, and they prune the deer prune them up into like these vases yeah. so that you can hardly even reach the flowers. And the, these elderberries, because they're so fenced, you I didn't know really... deer loved them that much. They so did, did the huh? goats. Oh, yeah. Really? And the goats, Ice too. Cream huh? them. How are your goats doing? They're doing great. Oh, good, good. Okay. I was going to try to come down um, this past weekend, but I, I dropped my crutch on my foot, and it swelled up pretty bad, so I have to take a rest again. Dang. I'll try to do it next month. Yeah. Can okay. I do like some indoor or outdoor work, like just with the scissors, with the herbs, cutting or chopping? Absolutely. You... Always, okay, cool. have, always have that going on. All right, I'll get in touch with you. Thank you, Susan. Okay, I love kid. you. Love you. Bye. Green blessings. Good night.
three blessings. All right, and if you've got a question this evening, please press one, then we'll see your hand go up in the queue and open your line when it is your turn. Uh, the next caller has dialed in to different number, but same area code uh, from the 585. You are live with Susan. Hi, this is Noelle. I'm the same person with a male absorption. Oh, good. I'm so glad you called back. So I was just starting to talk to you about nourishing herbal infusions. Mm-hmm. Did you hear any of that before we got disconnected? Um, uh, it sounded like a, a large amount, but I know I basically didn't hear it. Uh-huh. So have you been drinking nourishing herbal infusions at this point? Oh, I have. I'm sorry, was that a yes? I have not. You have not, okay. So I was saying that they are gluten-free, they are lactose-free, they are fructose-free, they are cholesterol-free, and they are sugar-free. So these are ideal uh, nutrients for you. I've worked with many people with a variety of uh, irritable bowel Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and so on. And the nourishing herbal infusions are absorbed. Mm-hmm. And there's several reasons for this. First of all, when you make a nourishing herbal infusion, you get the nutrients into the liquid. And when you drink it then, your digestive organs don't have to work at all. It doesn't matter what's going on in your gut, whether your gut is leaky or what's going on with the biome, the nutrients in the nourishing herbal infusions are going to go literally directly into your bloodstream and thence into your cells. Okay. The important part about making a nourishing herbal infusion is to weigh out the herbs. So you'll need a scale. An ordinary kitchen scale is just fine. Electronics kitchen scale, easy. Make sure you get one that has a T-A-R-E function, tear. And then you turn your scale on. And you put your canning jar, either a quarter or a half gallon, on the scale and push tear. And it takes away the weight of the jar. And then you put in one ounce for a quart jar or two ounces for a half-gallon jar of dried herb into the jar. Take the jar off the scale, turn the scale off. Many scales just turn off by themselves. And put up some water to boil. doesn't take a quart or even two quarts of water that long to boil, but find some small tasks like brushing your teeth, brushing your hair a hundred times, sweeping the floor, washing a window, some small task to do while your water's boiling, and then pour it over your dried herb in the jar. Using a wooden spoon, stir the herb into the hot water, and then put some more water in so the jar is actually filled to the top, and put a lid on it. A good lid that you can screw on is ideal. And turn off the light and go to sleep. In nourishing herbal infusion brews overnight. You don't need to add any further heat. The heat of the hot boiling water is enough. In the morning, you can strain the plant material out of the brew, 
squeezing it to get all of the liquid out of it. And that plant material can be used in a variety of ways, which we can talk about. But what we're really focusing on is the liquid. You can refrigerate that liquid, and you can drink that liquid, hot or cold, for an ordinary person in reasonable health, a quart a day is a good amount. For a person who's pregnant, for a woman who's pregnant, or a person who's dealing with health challenges like yours, two quarts a day is better. Now, it's pretty hard to drink any water at all if you two quarts of infusion a day. And I have to tell you that I think that that's ideal. In fact, I find that many people in your situation have been poisoned by water. And not something that's in the water, just the fact of drinking water itself. I'm a great disbeliever in drinking water. I believe in drinking nourishing herbal infusion or coffee or tea or hot chocolate or, oh, you'd heard me say I was making elderberry fizz. We have a variety of things that we make and drink, none of which are water. So how does this sound to you? Um, well, that sounds uh, like something that I guess I should do. <laughs> um, I, I, yes, when I was having severe heart palpitations, um, I actually I was seeing an Ayurvedic doctor, and he said, don't drink much water, just slather yourself with oil over your skin. Uh, but I was drinking coffee and stuff and um, then had serious heart issues, uh, palpitations. And they said, start drinking eight glasses a day. And I did, and it really did help. When you started drinking eight glasses of water a day, it cut down on your palpitations. Yeah. It helped my um, palpitations. I suspect that if you're drinking that much water, that you're drinking a lot less coffee. Yeah, I didn't drink that much coffee, but... Um, yeah, definitely the water replaced some other Coffee. things. Exactly, which I think was more to the point. I don't think that the palpitations were reduced by drinking the water. I think the palpitations were reduced by not drinking the things that were causing them. Possibly. Possibly. But I, it's I, hard, I was it's hard that, to say. Um, but yeah, because I do this. Anyway, there's not a shred of scientific evidence that drinking eight glasses of water a day is healthy or even beneficial. The whole idea of drinking huge amounts of water was made up by an advertising executive to sell bottled water. It has been somewhat taken up by um, doctors who seem to think it's a good idea and don't realize that there's no scientific backing to it. Yeah, so I, I mean... I, I trust you to know what's working for your body and to use whatever you can to help yourself. Obviously, things are changing 
day-to-day for you and uh, reminds me of the Chinese herbalist who was very distressed that his patient was not getting well, and he really thought he should be. And he went to the pharmacist and complained to the pharmacist that perhaps the pharmacist was not making the remedy correctly. And the pharmacist, of course, did not like this at all and said, I certainly am. And and so he said, well, I'm just going to hang out here and watch you and see if you really are. And he realized in doing that that he was seeing his patient early in the morning, and the pharmacist was making the remedy in the afternoon, and that over that period of time, the patient's condition had actually changed. And so the herbs that he was prescribing were not effective by the time the patient got the herbs, which was in the afternoon rather than the morning. We are all so changeable. So I'm so glad that you have some sense of what's going on with you and keep tabs on yourself and that you um, sort yourself through a lot of information and try things out. That's an excellent way to be. I applaud you for that. Okay. Um, So as I as I said, I'd love to see you drinking a couple of quarts of nourishing herbal infusion. Now, the nourishing herbal infusion will have the same effect as drinking water in terms of hydration, right? But it will have a much better effect in terms of actual nourishment. So you'll still be getting the benefits of all that hydration. And you'll be getting something that water doesn't have, which is loads and loads of minerals and vitamins. Right. Um, I mean, actually, you know, at this point I do, um, I count my, my liquids, which are, can be teas, um, as, my water, so I. It's not that I, I use water, but I think they really meant. I took it as meaning liquids. Good. I'm so glad that you were wise in that way. So the herbs that I use for nourishing herbal infusions, one at a time. Stinging nettle. The herb of energy loaded with protein, extremely well represented in terms of basically every mineral you ever heard of and every vitamin, including lots of vitamin K and even a little vitamin E. Stinging nettle, the herb of energy. Linden, linden flower one of the world's great antivirals, a mood improver. But the reason that I love it is because it is, to my mind, the world's best anti-inflammatory. In fact, I would say that Linden is 10 to 100 times better as an anti-inflammatory than turmeric. That's new to me. Yeah, most people haven't heard of Linden, and let's face it, 
Turmeric isn't so good tasting, and linden is fabulous tasting. Very easy herb to drink. Quite delicious. Comfrey. We were just talking about comfrey, the previous caller and I. Comfrey repairs the gut. The gut no longer has ulcers. The gut no longer is leaky. The gut no longer has spasms. The gut becomes healthy, slippery. The gut becomes at ease under the influence of comfrey. Comfrey improves every organ's ability to produce substances that are needed by the body and get rid of those that aren't. And I'm always tickled to remember that comfrey contains a special protein which is really important in short-term memory. What I usually say about comfrey is it only makes everything in your body stronger and more flexible. Other than that, it does nothing. And of course, it's especially effective at making your gut stronger and more flexible. Oat straw, the straw or the grass of the plant that gives us oats. And we know that oats is heart healthy. And we also know about people who are feeling their oats and people who are sowing their oats. Yes, indeed. Oat straw infusion is also a mood improver, a look at how juicy and wonderful life is message, and just an all-around great drink. It's so wonderful for restoring harmony and peace to both the nervous system and the hormonal system. And red clover. Our conference next year is about red clover. And red clover is in the bean family, and the bean family has a lot of interesting and complex molecules, including sterols, which can be converted into hormones in the body, but they don't have to be. Depends on what your body needs and wants. I suspect, and I think you suspect as well, that something is going on hormonally because your symptoms are kind of some here, some there, some the other place. And that usually says to me, hmm, some hormonal signal is either signaling too frequently or not frequently enough. And red clover restores sanity and pattern to the hormones. I don't uh, use them all at once. I rotate through them. So one evening I brew nettle, the next evening oat straw, the next evening linden, the next evening comfrey, the next evening red clover. And it doesn't have to be in any particular order. I could have said red clover, then oat straw, then linden, then comfrey, then nettle. So is it better to um, only do one herb a day or... Yes, one herb a day, please. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. There's there's always the possibility, and especially um, when you've been dealing long-term with various issues, there's always the possibility that anyone can have an idiosyncratic reaction to anything, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So if you do the nourishing herbal infusions one at a time and you have a reaction, you'll know which which herb it is, and then you can just avoid that one. But if you mix them all together and you have a reaction, poof, you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, I know all about that. <laughs> right, I know. You know, you've probably got, gone through times when huge swaths have been cut through your diet. Well, you, no, she can't eat this and she can't eat that. I, you know, came out of a surgery in which they took my guts out of my body, put them on the table, rummaged around, threw my guts back in my body after cutting out sections of them. You know, and I pretty much could eat mashed potatoes without skins. That's what I started with. And three years later, I'm now eating virtually every single food out there, some of them in small quantities. I'm still not hunky-dory with beans and lentils, but I can do like a tablespoon of them. Because my goal throughout has been no food foibles. There may be times in my life when I can't eat certain things, but it's not because I will never be able to eat them. It's until my gut heals sufficiently to tolerate the difficulty of that food, because some foods are more difficult than others. But it's just that. It's just more difficult. Hey, sometimes we like to drive on the highway, and sometimes we like to take the curvy road. okay for things to be difficult. All right, then. There's a whole series of YouTubes about the nourishing herbal infusion, which you get to see me and my granddaughter as a toddler making nourishing herbal infusion. She went from breast to nourishing herbal infusion. And even as a teenager, still drinks them. So I suggested either a quart or a half gallon, whichever one suits you. You might want to start with a quart and see if you can easily drink a quart during the day. And if that works for you, then you can make half a gallon. The reason that we don't make a lot of infusion is because they are very protein-rich and very nutritive-rich. And that means that they spoil really easily. So we don't want to make any more generally than we're going to drink within a 36-hour period. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think my um, my biggest thing is that the the weight loss is pretty scary, you know. If you do nothing other than drink two quarts of nourishing herbal infusion every day for the next six weeks, you will gain weight. Well, I'd like to see that. (laughs) Give me a call in six weeks and let's see how it's gone. Okay, well, thank you very much. You are welcome. I look forward to hearing from you. Yes. Okay, thank you, Susan. Okay, that'll be what? Right around um, the end of September. Okay. Talk to you then. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. 
And I remind everyone listening, if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1, and we'll see your hand go up in the queue and open your line when it is your turn. At this time, I see one hand in the queue, and we will open your line in the 352 area code. In the 352, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi, Susan. Hi. Can you hey, hear me? Hey, how are you? Yeah, I can. Good. I'm well, thank you. My question is, I have a grandson that I've been watching, taking care of, my daughter, and she has a bowel issue, and I would like your um, ideas about it. When he goes, he's two and a half, and when he goes to potty, and we're not trying to stress him out, but he just, you know, he hides, he's in a diaper, but he, he lets out just a little bit at a time. And then, and then he walks around, you know, and it seems that he doesn't like to have a bowel movement. And, and it's, it's stressing him out so that we can't really address it yet for potty training, which is not, it's not the end result or anything. It's just I'm curious, and my daughter seems to think he's constipated. So tonight she called me and said he's got a little fever. And I'm like, it's okay, no symptoms, he should be fine. But she said, is he could he have a fever from being constipated? But he's not constipated. But I said, Nobody no, he could not have really. a fever from being constipated. No one I, has I, ever I, gotten I sick. No one has ever died from being constipated. Children die a diarrhea from diarrhea. So what is, is it, do you think diet related? Because he has a very, very tiny appetite. And And I have my ideas, but this, I mean, a nursing or infusions, of course. What would make a child want it? He has a tiny appetite. Does that mean that he eats only a little at a time? Or that over the course yeah. of a day he eats only a little? He eats a little at a time. But they feed him, you know, this is a grandchild. But they, you know, and he's getting decent food, but it, it's, it's more snack-like when there's a meal. You know, several little different options that are not quite a meal, in my mind. But it's the way he moves his bowels, it's like he recluses, which is normal. I got that. But it's, it's like over a period of three or four diapers that he... And then when you go to change him, his little buttocks is just tiny, little bit open, ready for some more. But he's holding back on it. I'd like, I'd like to think about help you think, help me think about this a little bit. So I believe that all children are born wanting to do things their way. Three. And that some are, shall we call them, more stubborn about it than others. It also depends on what they have access to. So twins will frequently um, resist speaking the language of their parents and create private languages. Because they don't want to do what their parents want them to do. And this is kind of typical for children. I'm not going to do it because... (coughs) Mommy wants me to do it. I'm not going to do it because Daddy is happy when I do it. 
okay? And the opposite of that is I'm going to do something they don't want me to do. The opposite of that is I'm going to shit everywhere. So in psychology, I was thought that this is anal retentive and anal aggressive. The anal aggressive shits everywhere. And if they're no longer a child, then they do that emotionally. And the anal retentive says, you can't make me. So, that feels a little far-reaching for what I'm if you, if you felt, you believed that your only way to have your way was to keep your shit and not give it to your parents, what would convince you otherwise? Like to give a shit. Yeah. What would convince you? What would convince you that it's worthwhile to go in the bathroom, sit down in the toilet, put your shit in the toilet, wipe your butt, get up, and go play? Well, you know, when I was hanging around the Mennonite stuff for a while back in the day, um, they just gave him a cold hose and then that cured that, but we're not doing that anymore. It's not, okay, I mean, I hear you. He's not, he's, he's definitely not constipated because he's pooping. But he definitely yeah, makes a decision not, that he wants to poop around the corner. He's not constipated. No, he's not constipated. But he's definitely telling mom, I'm, not, I'm doing it my way, not your way. He's telling somebody. And then he gets a rash and stuff. I mean, it's just, yeah. So, so what do you think? What kind of, what, when you say, how do we get the kid to give the shit, to give the, to give a shit, what are some ideas about that? No, that's not what I said. I said, if you were in this position, what would you want? To give a shit. Yes, I hear I you. didn't ask you to hypothesize about what the child wants. I asked you to tell me what you would want this situation? Hmm. It's a good question. I'm I'm not sure what would make me want to go behind the corner to do that anyway, but I'm not <laughs> two and a half anymore. But it's a good question. It's one to ponder. I like it. So there has to be sufficient reward. The reward is not for this child to please mom. What is the reward? My mother really wanted me to go off the high diving board. It was the last thing um, that, that I wanted to do was go off the high diving board. But she wanted it so much that she found a friend of mine with a closet full of comic books and promised me, if I went off the high diving board, I could spend the summer reading all those comics, and I went off the high diving board. Oh. 
Well, yeah, I think that you're right. Right? I wanted to read those comics. And if the way to get to those comics was to terrorize myself by going off the high diving It is a little outdated uh, example, but I think that we get the idea is that the reward needs to be worth the, the gamble for change the behavior. But, yeah, I mean, I couldn't, like, really coach any of my grandchildren with a comic book. They'd be like, whatever. But you got to give it a good thing. There's got to be something they want. Oh, at this age, comic books wouldn't be great. But what what would this child like? What kind of things do they want to go somewhere? Wow, you know. Well, what, um, if, what, if, what if we just this draw child no like, attention to it Like to go whatsoever. to a park or like to do some particular thing. Every yeah, day now, you have shit in the is, toilet, we do this other thing. On days when you don't have shit in the toilet, we don't do this other thing. But he's not hes not pooping out of the way to, he's not even drawing any attention to himself. He just hides and does that, and that's fine. So I just think maybe should we just like what wait it out. Hides, what do you mean that he hides and does it? Like, you know, all of a sudden like, hey, Christian, where are you? And then he's behind the door and he's pooping. And then, you know. Ah, uh, he so he he seeks out privacy. Yeah. To poop. And then we'll say, let's go. Let's put but, that poopy in, in his diaper. He does it in his diaper yeah. rather than in the pot. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he's not even trying to bring attention to himself. It's just like, is he? He. It's almost like he's bummed out that he's got to poop or something, or there's some kind of. Um, or not bummed out, or just like it's past. So is eating for this little boy. You know, he has a heart. He just doesn't. You know, but I even working. He's just uh. So what do you think about that privacy part of that equation? Did I lose you? It looks like her call is with us. Susan, are you with us? I can see you, but we don't hear you, Susan. All right. I am going to try and close Susan's line and reopen it. Hello? Yep, you're still with us, caller in the three. Okay, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Susan, are you with us? All right. Something must be going on with Susan's phone. So um, give me a moment here. See if I can work that out. Can you not hear me? Now we can. I now can hear me now. Good. Yeah, I can hear you. Yay! Okay. Hurrah! Yay. Hurrah! Hi, well, hey, Thank you for the call, and I will let you go. I know you got a call coming in, so have a All great right. night. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night.
All right. And if you've got a call for Susan, please press one so that we, or if you've got a question, excuse me, for Susan this evening and would like to speak live with Susan, please press one and we'll see your hand go up in the queue. Uh, at this time, I do see one caller that has raised their hand. You're in the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Yes. Hi, Susan. It's Carol. Um, hi, Carol. Hi. Hi. Um, uh, one question is, with the oat straw, you don't buy the milky oats. You only buy the, um, what is it, the stems of oat the straw. Oat, the oat straw. It's called oat straw. Yes. And that's the, the, milky, the milky oats contains actual oats, and oats can contain some gluten. Oh, I so see. One of the reasons oh, I why see. I specify oat straw so that people yes. who are gluten-sensitive don't have to worry about that. Perfect. I understand. The other and my question friend I... Rose, who is celiac, says so long as it's oat straw, she's fine. Oh, great. Thank you. And the other mm-hmm. thing is my granddaughter, 13 years old, well, actually, we're driving back to New Jersey from Owego, New York. We visited my family, my 91-year-old brother, and we had a lovely visit. But she's before she fell asleep, she's complaining about her her gum is sore and irritated, and she has the braces, the Invisalign, and I think that we can't see it because we all have to keep our seatbelts on. But it's above the tooth, and the Invisalign irritated her gum, and it hurts her. What could we put on that? Plantain will help heal it and calm it. Yarrow will help counter any infection and will help eliminate pain. So whichever one of those you have at hand. Okay, but the yarrow in tincture. Yes. You could use plantain oh. tincture. Oh, I see. Or you I could use, use poultice. Either one of them, a fresh yarrow leaf or a fresh plantain leaf. Oh, fresh plantain. Just And just leave it on there and put her lip over it. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, wonderful. That's, that's terrific. Um, and um, are you... Uh, putting up anything for right now, you know, are you, uh, I didn't know what you were um, cooking or gathering and, you know, putting up. We've been gathering peaches from my peach tree. Oh, wow. We've been gathering elderberries and making elderberry remedies. Oh, wow. I've been gathering sumac berries and making sumac berry remedies um, I've been drying um, mints, various mints oh, that nice. are abundant right now, which I'm harvesting and drying the leaves of, so I have them for uh, teas, not for infusions. Yeah. We don't use the mints for infusions, but for teas. Uh-huh. And, um, oh, what else we're cutting and packing away herb that we dried earlier nettle mullen comfrey 
red clover, all of those are um, oh nice right being being put away the the uh, catnip the bergamot there's a lot of herb from our previous work this summer that we're spending time um, destroying right taking oh, yeah. it down, taking the strings off of it, folding it up, putting it into brown paper bags. We opened a bag of catnip that was harvested 10 years ago, and the cat came running and dove into the bag. (laughs) So it's certainly in my climate, which is very humid. um, Storing in brown paper bags really preserves the integrity of the herb and helps to cut down on mold. Oh, wonderful. And I drove by my mullen patch where I harvested about, um, about a month ago, and now those same stalks in the patch are all brown. The flowering tops are all brown. And I couldn't get up close, but I think the leaves aren't, aren't, are harvestable. Am I correct? Or even though it's brown, is it still okay to harvest? No, the mullen is over for the year. It's over. It's over. You can get some first-year leaves later on. But right now, the second-year plants are done. They're just done for. Done. Got it. Perfect. And um, uh, I think that's great. And do you have an opinion about the um, CBD salve for pain? There's not a... CBD salve. There are many CBD salves, and it depends a lot on who's making it and what you're getting and what they're actually using. So the difficulty that many people have found is that while it is generally easily available, it's not really legal. And that means if you are selling herbs over the Internet and you advertise that you are selling CBD, they will shut you down. And you won't be able to sell any herbs of any kind. Oh. So most people who are actually making CBD don't advertise it. Oh, right. So one thing you could do is if you know someone whose herbs you like, you could inquire if they have CBD salve available. In other words, you already know that they have good quality, and you could yes. you can ask them. They can they can sell it to you. It's not against the law to do anything other than advertise it, right? Yes. So that's you know one one kind of sneaky ish way to get it. The other um, thing to do is. We found someone who sold the CBD concentrate 
and then we put it into our own menstruum. Oh, I see. Yeah. Rather than having somebody else make up the salve from CBD, so then we knew how much was in there and how potent it was. Yes. Because we had made it. Yeah. We had to buy a fair amount, but, you know, we got a bunch of people together, and it wasn't impossibly expensive. Wonderful. So then yeah. the source... But, but again, if, you, you know, if you're, just going, if you're just trying it out, um, then it can be fun to try out various things that are available to you. One of the things that I have found is that for myself, and I don't know if this is is true for everyone, but certainly for me, the um, amount of CBD that I need in a remedy in order for it to be effective for me is pretty strong. Oh, okay. It's not worth my while to buy a product that has 60 milligrams. I want a product with 6,000 milligrams. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. All right. So, you know, so that's that's one of the things that I'm looking for is, is there really enough of the stuff in here yes. to have an effect on me? Because what I've found is that a lot of products on the market are good products. They're made from good CBD. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just have so little of it. Yes, yes, I can understand that. So you you would say when you said go to somebody reputable like the ones that you recommend, Blue Moon, Blue Moon Herbs and Kept Your Redmond. Mountain. Redmond. Redmond. <laughs> mm-hmm. Redmond. Not my... And again, I'm not saying that they have this or make this, I'm saying that it's okay if you ask them. Yes, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. And your full moon um, coming up is advertised It's on never a website. full moon. It's not a full moon. It has nothing to do with the moon. It's a moon launch. Oh. Oh, but it's not about launch. a full moon. Okay. As a matter that's of fact, that's one of the things that I say to women is, if you want to have a moon lodge, do not ever organize it around the moon phases. Oh, okay. Because oh. no one will be able to come. <laughs> if you were to organize it around full moon, for instance, right, it would be on a different day of the week every month. Oh, yeah, right. Right? And that yeah. drives people crazy. So if you're going to have a moon lodge, it should not be oriented to the moon phase. Yes. Right. Yes. Hey, if it, if it, mine is always on the Friday preceding my two one-day workshops, so there's one coming up this Friday. Oh, okay. And when I'm looking to see when to schedule my workshops, if I can schedule it near a full moon, so the moon lodge is in the moonlight. We like that. It's fun to be outside in the moonlight. Yes. But it's not what the moon lodge is about. And human women don't menstruate at the full moon. They 
menstruate at the dark moon. Oh, okay. Perfect. So if it well, was going to be according to some kind of moon, then we'd need to make it according to the new moon. Yes, thank you so much, Susan. And um, I really appreciate it and bless you and I love you. And I'll talk to you next week. Goody, love you too. Great Goody, blessing. Love Good you. Night. Thank you for the information. Bye, Bye sure Sarah Allen. Bye. Love you. Good night. All right. We've only got 30 seconds and we have one caller, and I do see our guest is with us as well. Well, let's go to Janet. Janet Connor is a prayer artist, a mystic witch, and the producer and director of the Theater of the Miraculous. She is also the mistress of the threshold between worlds. And remember that if you're the mistress of something, you have a mystery. That threshold is a mystical, theta brainwave state. First and always, Janet Connor is a devoted daughter of the sacred female. Her first book, Writing Down Your Soul, introduced a radically different approach to journaling that drops the writer into the mystical theta brainwave state. Writing Down Your Soul was so successful, it opened a path for the lotus and the lily, solo vowels, and then more. Welcome to the show, Janet. Thank you, Susan. It's a joy to be with you, and I've been listening and I dare say that you're a little bit of a mistress of the thresholds yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Those thresholds uh, definitely hold a lot of mysteries. So you say that uh, writing down the soul introduced a radically different mm-hmm. approach to journaling. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I stumbled upon it. This isn't anything I ever studied. And now that the book, Writing Down Your Soul, is out, I have taught thousands and thousands of people how to do it. But there are a gazillion books on journaling. And journaling is a wonderful thing. Your therapist always tells you to start journaling. But what I learned is that as I was writing, something way beyond journaling was happening. I didn't understand what it was, but I discovered that if I showed up every single day, and I was going through a violent divorce, so I had good motivation to pick up a pen and beg for help, I discovered that I could say hello to some kind of divine voice, tell my story, and begin to ask questions. And a voice, the subtitle of the book is How to Activate and Listen to the Extraordinary Voice Within. Well, this extraordinary voice would come flying through my hand, and I knew it wasn't me. The first couple times it happened, I actually dropped the pen because I was angry and upset, but this voice was wise, comforting. It asked me questions I wasn't willing to ask myself, I knew it wasn't me. So I just kept showing up every day for three years, having this conversation, asking for advice, and following the advice. I'm all alone in my living room, 
I didn't have any guidance on this. Most people didn't even know I was doing it. I didn't know that I was doing anything radically different. But my life was completely transformed. And so people began to say, what are you doing, lady? Because <laughs> whatever you're doing, we want <laughs> some of that. I want to do it. Yeah. So the, it, it, I would show up at little churches and four people would show up. And slowly over time, there was a community building that wanted to know more about this. Whatever you're doing, lady, we want to do it too. And eventually, it led to a book contract with Canary Press. So there I am, sitting exactly in the chairman right now. I have a contract to write a book. And I realized, I don't actually know why this works. Can I teach it to somebody else? So I just dove into research in psychology, neuroimmunology. I just kept digging and digging and digging. And just about everybody today knows that James Pennebaker has done at this point probably 40 years of research on the efficacy of journaling but he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that writing every day, even for very brief periods of time, changes your life. And it, it has all of the biological markers of meditation. Your blood rate goes, your heart rate goes down, your blood pressure goes down, your depression goes down, all that wonderful, juicy stuff. So I read all of that research. I chatted with him. But I knew... He isn't still explaining why it works. He can prove that it does, but why? And for that, I ended up reading Candace Pert's Molecules of Emotion. And most oh, nice, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Candace Pert, she should have won the Nobel Prize. I'm still furious about that. And most yes. people listening are going, Candace Pert? Candace Pert? Who's Candace Pert? But we all saw her. She was one of the talking heads in What the Bleep? And if people remember that movie from how many years ago, Susan? But the, these people that are happy and the people that are angry and the people that are upset at this wedding, they have green and purple and black like blobs coming out of their body. So what that cartoon is trying to show is that and this is why she should have won the Nobel Prize. She proved that your emotions are not in your heart. They are not in your brain. They're in every single cell of your body as neuropeptides. Yes. So I'm re right. I mean, she's just right. talk about a mistress of the threshold. Now I'm reading this, and it's a slog. It's a slog. I mean, the woman, she's a Nobel Prize level reading. And I'd go back and reread that. Okay, let's just read this chapter one more time. Because you know how you know what I need to know is there. It's in that process. It's in that class. It's in that woman. It's in that book. I knew this book mattered, but I didn't know why. So finally, I get to her explanation that connected all the dots for me about writing and why Penna Baker proved that writing is so effective. She said that when you're holding a trauma, a negative story, an illness, anything upsetting, and you don't let it out, you don't write about it, you don't talk about it, you don't tell your story, this just, I still can't get over this, 
the carotid artery in your, that enormous artery in your neck that goes up to your brain actually constricts. Uh-huh. And as it constricts, blood flow is obviously restricted to your brain. Your brain has one food, glucose. There isn't enough food getting to your brain. And she oh said, my gosh. Yeah, and it's so, like, it's obvious ah. once you read it, it's obvious. And I was living it, but not knowing why and how, writing my story every day to a divine voice, asking for guidance and receiving it. So I was pouring my story, all my traumas onto the page. Now, I didn't realize my car to artery was opening and blood was flowing to my brain. But what she said <laughs> is that if you're holding on to this trauma and your carotid artery is tight and your brain isn't getting enough food, your frontal cortex is kind of freeze. And she said you're stuck. And she specifically used that word. And she Whoa. said you couldn't come up with a new idea if your life depended on it. Now, scroll ahead, and I'm teaching. I'm going anywhere in the country that anybody wants me to come to teach, writing down your soul. And I would ask people, why are you here? Why would you come to this class, this workshop? And invariably, everybody that raised their hand would say, I feel stuck. I'm stuck about retirement. I'm stuck about illness. I'm stuck about a relationship. I'm stuck about my, I'm stuck about this. I'm stuck about this. Every time they said, and they said that word. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. And none of them had read that book. You know, I'm, I'm still running around carrying that book, holding it up to the camera and going, please, everybody stop and read this book. So by, by, they, all of these people saying, I feel stuck. And then they would start deep soul writing because I teach it. And invariably, here's one story that really just brought it home to me, that, like how, how radical and important this is. There was a woman that came to one of my multi-week workshops. And maybe it was the fourth, fifth, sixth week. And everybody's just sharing and talking. And she said something that it just made me want to cry. She said, I've been going to therapy for decades. And last week, my therapist said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are doing something different because you're not stuck anymore. You are changing. And she realized what she was doing was deep soul writing every day. Yes. Now, there's a third piece to this story that gets to why I call myself the mistress of the thresholds, and the threshold between worlds is the mystical theta brainwave state. So I'm sitting here writing the manuscript for what became Writing Down Your Soul, and I'm a pretty happy camper. I've got Pennebaker's research that you know, Janet doesn't have to prove anything. I don't have to do that research. The greatest psychological researcher on writing has already proven it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then you've got Candace, uh, St. Candace Perth. But I still felt like I can't quite write this. There's something missing. I don't know what it is, but I just know there's one more thing. So I picked up a pen. And I wrote to my divine voice, and I actually said, hey, listen, 
Thanks for Pennebaker. Thanks for Candace Burt. There's one more thing. I don't know what it is, but you do. And uh, I'd just like to point out that we're working under deadline here. Because <laughs> this is my relationship. I don't hear in the real world there's deadlines. <laughs> but this is my relationship with this divine voice. It's not... You know, this, this, the way we're taught about divinity as a kid growing up in whatever religious tradition you're in, that, that God is out there and judgmental and you can't make him happy if you wanted to. I am in this intimate, loving relationship with this divine voice. So, of course, the very next day, I'm listening to a writing coach do a radio interview, probably a, a little bit like this. And she's interviewing some people. I don't know who they are. I never heard of them before. But my whole body went, ooh, 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 you. (laughs) I have to talk to you. And so I sent them an email, and they got on the phone with me. This is before Zoom, so it's just on the phone. And, Susan, it was so exciting because they confirmed everything I knew was true. And they called themselves consciousness coaches. Doesn't that sound fabulous? Wow. Wouldn't you want to be a conscious? I mean, I didn't know what that meant, but hey. And (laughs) they were a couple. And so the wife said, writing is the most effective spiritual practice, period. I went, excuse me, could you you say, yeah, I mean, whoa. Now, this unbelievable quote from my book, right? Writing is the most effective spiritual practice. And I said, "Um, I believe that, but why? She said, because it activates three senses. Obviously sight, obviously touch. And she said, it also activates hearing because when you're writing, you're not saying anything out loud, but your brain is hearing every word you're writing. So, oh, I thought, okay, three senses, that's pretty cool. And I was feeling so comfortable with them. I'm sure this something like this happens with you and your callers all the time. I was so comfortable with them that I said something that I had never said to any human being. I don't know that I had ever even said it to myself. And I said, so, what does it mean when you're writing so fast? that the pen and the paper kind of merge. You couldn't lift the pen if you wanted to. And suddenly something comes through that you know you didn't write. And Susan, there was silence. (laughs) And I thought, oh, shit. Uh I have now, these people now think I'm crazy. They're not going to talk to me anymore. And I just wanted the quote. I wanted to be able to say in my book. Right, right, right. This is the most important spiritual practice ever. Exactly. Right. Yay. And so finally, the husband, Robert, he kind of caught his breath. And he said what may be the most important thing any human being has ever said to me. And he said, lady, I don't know how you've done it. But you have trained yourself to enter mystical theta. <laughs> mystical theta, I love it. Now, I had never heard of it. I had never heard of theta. 
And I, I just screamed. And he realized, okay, this crazy lady who has trained herself to enter mystical theta has no idea what she's doing and doesn't even know a thing about brainwaves. So he gave me the kindergarten quick introduction, which I think everybody knows beta is real fast, worried, stressful, and then your brainwaves slow down a little bit into alpha where you can do really, really good work. But then they drop into theta and finally into deltas you can sleep. And theta, it's only three to seven hertz. It's this tiny, narrow, most magnificent brainwave, most magnificent experience in your entire life. All creativity comes through mystical theta, all real prayer. Not prayer the way religion tells us to, but real, ecstatic, glorious prayer. Everything delicious, orgasm, it only happens in Seda. So I got off the phone with him and I thought, well, now, this guy said that I had trained myself to enter mystical Seda. So, okay, I've trained myself to do it every day in deep soul writing, but I wonder if it's your natural state and you fall into theta as you're falling asleep, and you're in theta, that rich lim- liminal space, but, you know, when you're not quite awake, then, shoot, I should be able to train myself to hang out in theta more often. And I did. <laughs> and, I, and this is what yes. I teach. Yes, I'll bet you that when you're out, like like I heard you with that list of all those things you're harvesting right now, aren't you, whether you use this language or not, when you're outside in nature, touching the plants, talking to the plants, listening to the plants, you're dropping into the theta brainwave state, don't you think? I walk barefoot all the time because it's... Well, bingo, okay. <laughs> it's me and Theta. Of course you are. You're in communion with the mm-hmm. earth, with the plants, with the clouds, mm-hmm. with the trees, with the stars. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in beta. You can't even do that in alpha. So now, And, of course, Janet's not the brain scientist. I had to learn all this stuff from the brain scientist. This is something that I think sort of solves the problems of the world. The only brainwave state in which you can worry, feel anxiety, stress, is beta, B-E-T-A, beta, the fast one. And where do we spend our lives? In beta. Where do our educational systems push us? You know, you have, you have six-year-olds, you have kindergartners that are on antacids because they're worried about not graduating, not passing the test, not getting the flashcards right. We have stressed the shit out of everybody so that we're basically, what we've done is train ourselves to live in beta. The alarm goes off in the morning and people have no idea that they had this delicious opportunity to hang out in the creative brainwave state instead their eyes aren't even open, and they're thinking, oh, shit, okay, i got to do this, and don't forget about this, and what's my to-do list? They live all day in beta, which is why they're sick, right? 
It's not a healthy place to be. It's not a healthy place to be. But that's where most of our systems push us. This is what's so holy about the work you do. I address that. Just, that I just had a past apprentice come to me and say, oh, I have to put my daughter in school. And I looked at her and I said, you don't put yourself in boxes. Why do you believe you have to put your daughter in a box? And, it, and you know, we talked about, she said, well, I don't have time to teach her. I said, excuse me, you are with your daughter. That is teaching her. We're not talking about a child in a deprived circumstance. You don't need to do anything more than what you're doing already, which is support her curiosity and make sure she doesn't kill herself while she's exploring. <laughs> or maim herself, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's so interesting about this, thinking about children, as I dug and dug and dug and dug and dug into anything I can learn about the theta brainwave state, I stumbled upon Bruce Lipton. And we all know his beyond belief. You know, we, We're all familiar with a lot of his work. But his favorite work is reminding us of our natural brainwave state evolution. So a baby's born and, you know, they, they do a lot of sleeping and pooping. Okay, so they're spending a lot of time in the delta brainwave state. And then as you're approaching one, maybe even a little bit before that, all the way through seven and a half to eight, then the baby, the child, is always in the theta brainwave state. That's why they play and they have superpowers and they turn the sofa into a fire truck and a rocket. Everything is creative and fun. They live in the theta brainwave state and what do we do we send them to school where you don't now you know you did i'm 75 years old when when i went to kindergarten it was mostly play play and nap sort of like montessori i didn't go to a montessori school but by the time i think even before even before i was out of grade school it was already changing and becoming stressful now you have to do something productive. You've got to learn something productive as opposed to learning through play. So theta is how we're wired. Theta is the joy, the deliciousness, all creativity. And so we have to train ourselves <laughs> to get back. And in. as you are showing us, you can train yourself to theta. Yeah. Yeah. And one one of the thresholds, and every threshold leads to our wholeness, and one of the thresholds is writing. Absolutely. Which, and also chanting which and praying fact, and walking. Like better than meditation. Well, now this gets to be, a, I know, a very delicate subject because <laughs> a gazillion people teach meditation and push meditation. I have never been able to meditate. And so I don't even That's try what anymore. Saying, most people actually can write, whereas it's not always given to people to be able to meditate. I I found it. What I think the difference is, and you hear people talk about, you know, it'll take you a few years to learn to meditate well. When I teach writing down your soul in person or in one of my events, 
I walk people through the science just so they know I'm not crazy, that, okay, writing works and your carotid artery wants you to release your story and it's all about brainwaves. I tell my little stories and I say, okay, and then I turn on music that was recorded in that same sine wave. I say, okay, let's do it. And I give them a few of the secrets, which is you must be speaking to that divine voice within. So you've got to address the voice by name, and you've got to write by hand. It's very simple stuff. And we've got to activate all our senses, not just three. And then they write for nine minutes. Nine minutes. Try to imagine in your first meditation class how successful you would be if you tried to meditate for nine minutes. Sixty percent of the people in the room Deep soul writing for the first time when it's finished, and I ask if anybody wants to share or if anything came through. Their eyes are huge. Their mouths are hanging down. 60% of the people absolutely know that something came through on the page that didn't come from them. Everybody really can't write. Not everybody can meditate. And it's partly because it's a lot easier to see examples of writing than it is to see examples of meditating. Well, and yeah, and it's and it's physical. You're not just sitting there. You know how they. And here's another big difference, Susan. In meditation, like when I tried, and I've heard this repeatedly, the object, if you want to say that there's an object, is to quiet your mind. Now go back to when I was. Anybody who tries to do that is gearing themselves up for failure. It is impossible to quiet your mind. Bingo. Bingo. But nobody told me that while I was trying to learn how to meditate and taking these meditation classes. So here I am going through a violent divorce. My family thought I wasn't even going to live through the thing. Silence my mind? I don't think so. But so what I would show up every day and vomit my story onto the page. And what I realized and this is just 180 degrees different from trying to meditate to silence your mind. I don't want to silence my mind. Come on, wake up. Tell me what's going on. Let's talk. And that story, thinking about Candace Spurt, is just pouring out of my body and onto the page. So it is literally getting out of me, but it's also activating this loving, sweet, kind authoritative, sometimes pushy, voice, and now I'm in dialogue. When you're meditating, you're not in dialogue. I I heard um, Cynthia Bourgeau once. She teaches a form of meditation called Centering Prayer. And I love Cynthia, and I love a lot of her books. I love her book on Mary Magdalene. So I was listening, and she said something, Susan, that just pissed me off. She said, you're, you're to have no thoughts. So if you're sitting there in centering prayer or meditation and a wonderful thought goes by, you let it go. You let it go. And if it's meant for you, it'll come back. I'm screaming at her. I was like listening to her online. I'm screaming as she said this. And I'm screaming, how dare you? How dare you? The creative energy of the universe gives you an idea, a magnificent idea, something it wants you to bring to life, and you have the audacity? Would a musician do that? 
would a musician hear a magnificent song coming through and say, oh, don't bother me right now. I'm trying to have an empty mind. No, the musician would grab the guitar. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I mean, you may have listeners that are all about meditation, but I, for one, just find that being in conversation with this creative force of the universe is a whole lot more fun than trying to silence my mind. I completely agree with you because the mind is never silent. (laughs) It is inherent nature. It is always giving us things. Now, I do agree that we don't have to go on every trip our mind proposes, nor do we have to believe everything our mind tells us. Right, not not necessary to to vote for it just because it's in your mind. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, um, I think that what you're doing is, in fact, what most meditators wind up doing, which is a keen observation with interaction that supports the, let's call it the greatest good. We all have, we all have niggly little voices. I was really upset with somebody the other day, and my massage therapist said, you're very upset. And I said, yes. She says, let's take that anger and turn it into wisdom. I said, okay, my wisdom is fuck this and fuck that and fuck the other. (laughs) That was my wisdom right then about it. And then at the end of the massage, she says, how's your anger doing? And I said, well, my anger says that it would probably be wiser if I did this, this, and this. And she said, oh, I'm so glad to hear it. (laughs) But you were doing what Candace Pert probably was talking about. By vomiting it out, you were getting it out of your body. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And that then leaves room for some other better wisdom to niggle its way in there and go, all right, did you have a good time telling everybody to fuck off? Now what would you really like, please? (laughs) Well, because then now we're in this kind of dialogue thing. So when something comes my way that's weird, I'm not so sure about that, I then have a conversation with my beloved feminine divine voice and i will say what the hell is this excuse me i don't understand and then the voice might speak to me in the middle of the night the voice might wake me up the voice might always talk to me in that um liminal space in the morning i lie in bed with my head on the pillow and i don't move for at least a half an hour oh the things that come are just magnificent And so I don't have to understand everything. I don't, because it's coming from something so much bigger than me. And so I can get out my journal and say, we need to talk about this, and eventually find Mm. a way to what wants to be created. Yes. And there is always, always something. I could keep on talking to you for all night, but we're on a show (laughs) that's going to close the door on us. They don't believe in thresholds. They just believe in closed doors. That's okay. They have to run in business. So I would like you to tell everybody how to get in touch with you, how to get your books. My um, website is my name, Janet Connor. You just have to remember to spell Connor, C-O-N-N-E. 
are JanaConnor.com, and it's all there, all the books. The books are available anywhere books are sold. All of my intensives are there. Everything I do, my newsletters, is at JanaConnor.com. Oh, how easy. Thank you so <laughs> for making it so easy for us. We just have to remember to spell Connor with an E. An e. C-O-N-N-E-R. Connor with the E, and you've got it made. And you have given us so much tonight. Nonetheless, I'm going to ask you for a little bit more. <laughs> what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening tonight? That the threshold between worlds is real. The door is open. I'm sure you're all familiar with Rumi's famous, famous poem, The Breeze at Dawn Has Secrets to Tell You. Don't go back to sleep. People are crossing the threshold. People are going back and forth across the threshold where the two worlds meet. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Don't go back to sleep. <laughs> I believe that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And yes. as all artists know, empty space is part of art. And so I believe that you have brought to this weaving an openness, an empty space, a threshold that we can step through round and liminal. Thank you for participating so brilliantly in this reweaving. And Sarah Ellen, love you, love you, love you. Herbal medicine as people's medicine, we're doing it. Good night, everybody, and green blessings. <laughs>